0: Just a warning, up front, this episode gets really happy and really dark. If you want your kids here for the Harry Potter, cool, but I would highly suggest you avoid the rest of the topics. Having said that, welcome to part one. Enjoy. Alright, hello everybody. I'm here. This is my fourth official podcast. I'm here with my cousin Mike. Uh, go ahead and say hi, Mike.
1: Hi Dan. Hi. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, no I'm about this.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. We uh, we were having a really good conversation just by ourselves yesterday at my restaurant. So I know. This. Yeah. I'm trying to still. I'm trying to get my restaurant to sponsor this. So we're open it's Tuesday through Sunday. <laughs> every time I do it I'm trying to get my mom to pay me 50 bucks she she, won't do it she won't do
1: it no (laughs) (laughs) Hawks Cafe greatest food I mean you can't beat it seriously it's best breakfast in town yeah I mean you just not even just breakfast but lunch everything just well we're not serving dinner during the pandemic right now because we don't want to do a Uh, steam table you know so we don't want
0: food sitting out and stuff but just right now, it's breakfast, breakfast and lunch. But yeah, I you, you
1: can't get a better deal too for your money. Either. Yeah, it's really good to prices
0: and stuff. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, but anyways, uh, I asked every single guest on here. I, I asked you yesterday where where you think thoughts come from. So we'll, did you have time to ponder it?
1: Oh, dude, man, yeah, I watched the uh, I watched the Elon Musk podcast on the old oh shit, Joe the old Rogan. Joe Rogan, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of weird. Like I was as I watched it, and I was thinking about the question, and I was like, "Okay, let's see what this dude has to think." But then I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, that dude's smart as hell." So right. I he's, mean, like yeah, he's got just, a Ferrari for a brain. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just ridiculous. And yeah. uh, then I kind of started thinking about like my own personal, like shit, what happens to me throughout my life, and then I kind of like w- thoughts, and I was telling you about Stephen King, how he came up with Carrie, yeah. and how his two random memories kind of came together and like Two two random experiences came together and he Born created completely brand new. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I kind of think maybe that's where thoughts come from. It's not uh, so
0: Thoughts come from experiences. Yeah,
1: it's comes from our own personal life experiences that it could be Something that's as small as reading a as a newspaper news article or a, a magazine article or anything or reading a book and then you don't know how that's going to affect you. Like right. you come down later, uh, 20, 30 years later, maybe even just a month later, you, something is going to like connect those things. Like, the synapses are going to fire, and it's like, hey, those two things, you're, yeah. you're going to start. Thinking. That's the eureka moment, basically. Yeah, you know? yeah, that. Yeah. You're, exactly. Yeah. That's the perfect way to put it. Is the yeah. eureka moment. Huh. And uh, so I was thinking about that because I love writing and I love creating and doing all that, and that's where like reading his. On writing book just changed my life. I mean, it just changed how I I think about shit and how I because I want to be a writer. That if I have one dream job, like I'm going to school for speech and language pathology because that's something that is job security. I can make speech a speech and language what? Uh, speech language pathology. Pathology. I yeah. thought you said mythology. I was like, oh, this, <laughs> this is going to get weird. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be dope. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah. So it's uh, something that I can have that's. I, that I'm also passionate about is communication so I mean it's something that I'm passionate about something that I can make a lot of money doing because yeah. there's one it, it's always in need there's job security up the that's wazoo the,
0: honestly that's the American dream right there make money on your passion yeah you know like and then
1: uh, like while I'm doing that I'm, you know, I'm constantly writing Yeah, I'm just writing down ideas that's why I have my little notebook here uh, it is because oh speaking of which I have to go grab my notebook I keep talking though no, yeah. I'm listening so so uh, it's like these little things that you know come to me that are just like, you know, like, oh, alright, well, you know, I think that would make a cool story idea. If I'm watching, like, a western or some shit, it's like, oh, man, you know, I, there hasn't been a lot of new western books, and I think that would be something that would be a good... Yeah, uh, Westerns
0: are kind of dying now, right? I know, like, yeah, or like, like, They're probably full-on dead, but you yeah. know, who actually really brought brought it back was Quentin Tarantino. I know. With the, I just yeah. want uh, Django. Django, and then, yeah. Uh, and, uh, the Hateful Eight, or is it the... Yeah, Hateful Eight. Yeah.
1: Bro, that movie, the dialogue in that movie... Was, Which one? Uh, well, both. <laughs> Django? But, uh, and the Hateful Eight, because Hateful, yeah. Hateful Eight is a dialogue-driven movie. It's not uh, for sure, an action movie. It yeah. is a full-on dialogue-driven movie that has bits of action and, yeah but it's like almost four hours long and that movie is so great but you never want to watch it again right and it's not because of the subject matter it's just because it took, like, takes a lot out of you yeah, yeah you really literally does. have it's to watch yeah, yeah every single thing of it mm-hmm. but so like yeah, so talking about Stephen King and on writing and like how it made me think about just thoughts and ideas and the, how you know, well, where do thoughts come from and it's like yeah I think if what it is is not even to, got even to the bringing the subject of you know, consciousness or whatever, but just thoughts in general at first. Like it, it has to me. It just it makes the most sense that it's our experiences, right? And we, That's uh, actually a really good answer. I've never heard that one yet. Yeah,
0: um, but I guess the next logical question in this would be: Where does your first thought come from? Exactly. You know, like you know. Uh, you, you go back to when you were a baby. You know, where's your first memory come from and why is it sticking your brain like that? Is it truly because of the experience that, so therefore, uh, mommy and daddy are yelling at each other. Therefore, your emotions kick into where you're scared and therefore that creates the memory
1: and therefore from that memory, you create a thought from that memory or is it the other way around? More on the things of, uh, more on that where what's your first memory, how do you know it's your first memory? Is it your first memory? that you can remember, or is it the first thing that you remember being told? Yeah, because uh... I remember being, my mom always told me the story that when I was like 18 months old, so around two years old, or 18 to 24 months, two years old, that I was carrying, helping bringing in the groceries, that I grabbed these two milk jugs, two gallon, um, gallon milk jugs, and I'm walking. And so I remember that clearly of me doing that. Is that my memory or is it an implanted Is it memory, is, it, is yeah. it implanted because my yeah. mom's told it to me my whole entire life. Yeah. So there's things that like I remember of because I used to live on uh, you know 58th and Pratt and that was yeah. the house that I grew up in and I I have so many memories and smells of that area and that neighborhood and I I can't really pinpoint like a first one down right. and the uh, you know the one that I think actually might be the first is cuz I've I started it with Hey, do you... My mom... My dad had this old shitty blue van. Oh, I remember that van. Yeah, right. He had it for years. It was in front of the Nighthawks for 10 years, and then he parked it at our house for another 10. (laughs) And I remember clearly sitting in it and messing around, just fucking being a kid. I don't remember how old I was. I don't know I was small because... I remember playing around in that van, too. Yeah, it was... I just... It was so much fun. But I remember putting it in the neutral. Oh, shit. And... It started rolling, and I remember falling and thinking, "Why well, this is how I know that I was uh, small because of the height." I was like, "This is such a big fall." Yeah, but it was only because I was so. small. And you small. fell from? What, I the, fell out of the driver's seat, seat to the and to the, the uh, ground, and I didn't get run over or anything, and I didn't get oh, outside of the van. Outside of the van. Oh damn! Okay. Yeah, and I remember thinking, "God, this is so high." And I remember, I remember that clearly. And I remember hitting the the uh, garage. So I asked my mom. I said, "Hey." do you remember, did the van ever hit the garage? She was like, yeah, you know, it did one time. And I was like, Oh, huh. ah, Yeah, so that actually could happen. All right, <laughs> I think I was the one that did it. And I think that that might be one of the first clear memories yeah. that I had. How old do you I, think you were? You know, I, between three and four, maybe. Because hmm. I, mean, I remember just being... I've, my whole life, I've been huge. Yeah, and just I've, full disclosure for the podcast, my cousin's six eight. Uh, six five. Okay, six five. Yeah, 300. six five three hundred. Uh, last time I was actually four sixty three. Oh, 460? Yes. And what are you down to now? Uh, that uh, I was. Uh, okay. I was up to four ninety. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I got down to four sixty three. Quarantine happened. I started eating like shit, yeah. and I was like. Man, I don't want to get on this scale. I did it and it was like 463. So I've maintained throughout all this shit. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so I'm 6'5, 463. I've just been huge my whole life. And I remember this feeling of fear that I was so small. And so that's the only time that I ever thought that I was small was when I was really little. So I think I must have been around. Yeah, it couldn't have been much much more than that then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so. That's, like, one of those things where you talk about, you know, like, where do your first memories come from? That's when I started, when I was watching this other podcast, it was uh, Two Bears, One Cave. And, that uh, sounds, uh, all if, right, go on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Tom Segura and Bert Kreischer. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I've heard that before then. Yeah. Great podcast. Two it's, Bears, One Cave. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But Bert Kreischer, they were talking about, uh, he had seen, like said, yeah, I'd seen Nirvana live in concert. And he's like, but I don't remember if I actually have seen them. Like, I think I have this memory of seeing it, but then I've told myself so many times that this is a memory. I have seen it. I now have that feeling of, man, I got to see Nirvana live in concert. God, memory is such a finicky thing, isn't it? I know, it's so crazy. But that got me thinking of, like, how do we know what our memories are? Because there's some things that I can can clearly remember. And then there's other stuff that's like, God, did that really fucking
0: happen? sometimes you just have a fog in there. You know, like, I was talking to Rachel on my podcast couple of days ago and we were talking about our memories of 9-11 and i'm sitting here telling the story as if i remember it in my brain i'm sitting there like did that actually happen you know like i'm sitting there like i'm what maybe five years old or not five uh fifth grade mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there like I, I told her i was watching it on the on the tv but i'm thinking like I, I looked back after the podcast was over i looked at what time it actually happened the second tower getting hit mm-hmm. i should have been in school by then yeah and I remember seeing it on the TV in the kitchen, but time doesn't lie. No, you know, no. like I had to have been at school when the second tower got hit.
1: Yeah.
0: Either I saw it when I was at school, or I just just seen the second tower getting hit so many times over the time of my life that I thought I saw it. Yeah, you alive. just put the two together. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm not exactly sure if that's a true memory. You know, I put yeah. that in quotation marks. You know, it's like, what is a true memory? You know, yeah. like uh, the most what. When you go to the criminal justice system, like they don't take first hand accounts anymore, no. you know, like or whatever they call it. what is that? Uh,
1: witness statements, witness, yeah, witness, witness
0: uh, yeah, witness accounts of, of things because memory is such a faulty thing that you can't just take that as admissible proof,
1: yeah, you know? especially but, when you're in that, uh, again, if in a, in a criminal situation, like let's say you saw someone get shot, yeah, one, your adrenaline's through the roof, Ooh, spiking, yeah, and the fight or flight reflex, like you've everything. People say things speed up, but in reality, like it's your every time that I've been in a dangerous situation, time Time slows slows down. down. Mm -hmm. But it's happening at the same pace. But our brain is hyper focused. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, hyper focused, and it's taking every minute detail in. Mm -hmm. But like I got into a car accident and I totaled uh, my Explorer that I had. I remember vividly, time was. So slow. Like, yeah, I remember like just... Straight out of the movie. Yeah, kind of I mean, yeah. it was a scene from the movies mm-hmm. to where, like, it was just, oh, what's happening? <laughs> and then, zoomed <laughs> direct right back in. So, yeah. like... But, I don't remember, like, the minute details yeah. of, the like, right. how the accident happened. What time it was, yeah, I have who no idea who you were with, or where yeah. you were going. Yeah. yeah, you just
0: remember the action of it happening.
1: Yeah, so, when it comes to, like, criminal testimony and shit like that, your brain's... Are flooded with all these different mm-hmm. chemicals. And sometimes, like, um, there's this really great uh, college study where they're having people watch a basketball game, and halfway through the basketball game, a dude in a gorilla costume runs across the yeah. stadium and or runs across the court. And they're like, okay, so yada are talking to him, talking to him, like, okay, how many of you people saw the gorilla costume? <laughs> It's, what? There was a gorilla. Yeah, what gorilla are you talking about? I've seen that before. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like because like
0: obviously your brain takes it in, you know, yeah. like your brain uh, sees it, but doesn't see it as part of what it's supposed to be focusing on. Yeah. You know. So uh, there's also another one where there's a whole bunch of dancers and like like there's yellow and blue dancers. Mm-hmm. They're all dancing together, and then all of a sudden there's a team of gorilla suits. Yeah. And like they just flood the screen, but and then but the psychologists tell you just focus on the blue and red. How many? Or they go into the study saying. Focus on the blue and white, or the blue and yellow dancers. Mm -hmm. They start dancing, blah blah blah, and then they want you to count in the beginning how many there are. And as you're counting, there's just a fucking team of gorillas going through it. And first time I did it, I was like, I was watching, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) I had to to rewind it. I was like, there the fuck it is, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a crazy, crazy study they do, like with that. You know, the mind is a really fuck uh, finicky thing.
1: Yeah, and especially when it comes to like what you think is uh, what we perceive to be right there's another one uh, it's like it's called a tv show called mind games or some shit to where they just it's all about fucking with people and but not fucking with them in a bad way but yeah. as in just testing like their uh observational skills so it's they're set up at a casino and they're like oh hey yeah you know you signed up you uh do you want to sign up to win and Whatever, and it's a free thing. You just have to come over here and sign this paperwork with this guy named John.
0: Oh, and yeah, I've seen John's that one. a white guy,
1: mm-hmm. and he's like, ah, oh, you know what? I got. A, God damn, I dropped my pin. Drops down below the counter. Up pops a black woman, <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, sure. Just <laughs> and half no, the people yeah. had no idea. <laughs> like, so like when it comes to when it comes to the mind, what yeah. you are able to recollect and what you're able to see, it completely makes sense that yeah. they don't get rid of it because. Yeah. Then there's the people... Uh, Twelve Angry Men. Have you seen that movie? I've uh, Not the...
0: Uh, the original one, the black and white one? Yeah, black yeah, and yeah. white. That's yeah.
1: the, the... The remake is like a shot-for-shot shot remake, which in a sense is a good yeah. idea because, you know, it just kind of gives... You can't really
0: remake a classic yeah. like that. But you know, I mean, yeah.
1: They still have some really good actors that mm-hmm. are doing it in the remake, but the original... <clears throat> we have these... The, these witnesses... That this kid is being, you know, he's going to go to jail all over, he's going to be put to death over these, yeah. what these people are saying. Yeah, 25 to life, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was, because uh, it, was, it was a death sentence, because That's it was right. a capital murder That's thing. right, it was capital right. And yeah. so, we have these witnesses that are like, yeah, I saw him do it. Mm-hmm. And they break down, it's like this woman is in her late 40s. Yeah, uh, she, just for
0: uh, context purposes, for people who haven't seen this movie, uh, there's 12 angry men are jurors, yep. and one holds out. And he ends up, spoiler alert, it's been out since the 40s. Uh, He ends up convincing the rest of them that he's innocent. Yeah, but They
1: break down the whole entire case. And I go by evidence by evidence. And it's honestly one of the... Fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. I've watched it. We did it. I've loved the movie since high school. We watched it in high school. And then I just recently took a film history appreciation class. And we watched it. I want to take that
0: class. It's at
1: Metro. (laughs) Take it. It is so dope. Okay. Uh, But... uh. I took that class and we started, we did that movie and oh my God, it just gave me a whole different perspective. Like, cause it's all about how films are made and stuff and they do a really good job with camera angles and because it starts off like and really wide angle. The dialogue is angle. great too. And the, yeah. that's why we watched it was yeah. for the dialogue. And, um, but yeah, so they look at these witnesses and they break down this testimony and like this one woman says she saw the kid kill his father by looking through the windows of an elevated train. it was that night the train was empty she saw him clearly doing it well she they could tell that by old glasses used to have these nose pads and these nose pads would dig into your nose and they would have these red marks one of the jurors recognized like you know this person had that they had the nose marks so that means they wore their glasses constantly and these people want to feel important, and they feel important because, hey, they're being brought down to trial, they're yeah. gonna you know, they have to swear it yeah,
0: testimony kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's, you know... It's a big deal, probably the yeah. biggest deal of their lives. Yep,
1: yeah. and so they want to be important, and how do they be important? The prosecutor talks to them because, you know, prosecutors, if, if they're a witness for the prosecution, the prosecutor's going to say, hey, we're going to go over your, your testimony, this is the questions I'm going to ask you, we're going to do this and this and that, and you, these are the answers that you just be truthful. Yep. But we're going to kind of rehearse what's going on. So these people want to be important, and so they actually—if you would have put these people up to a lie detector test, they would be telling the truth. Yeah, they believe it themselves. Because, yeah, yeah, they or they've they told themselves so many times what happened that they actually believe it. 100. So this ends up coming up that this woman was blind pretty much and she didn't have her glasses on and she looks through and then she sees these shadows of this dude getting murdered and she just puts two and two together. She had grown up and watched the kid his whole entire life and said, yep, the kid did it because the father was abusive this kid's whole entire life. Of course, it had to be the kid that did it. Yeah. So it's just, that brings us to that that witness testimony is that it's completely and totally unreliable. You just, you can't, rely on it but then and for are for
0: years decades they've yeah. been using witness testimony to put people away yeah you know like for you know especially back in uh, what the Jim Crow law days like you could just have one white man go up and say yeah it was he touched my w- white wife or something yeah. and then they just go lynch him yeah. it's like it was, it was
1: it's s- horrific bro I'm so <laughs> glad you brought this up because I just I got that my finals just ended on Wednesday, I had my last class, and I did. we had to do a presentation on one of the stories we read. It was for ethnic literature, great class. But I read Going to Meet the Man, and it's by this uh, civil rights author by the name of James Baldwin. Dude was a fantastic writer. He, in the times that he was living and writing, he was friends with Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, So Martin he was McKay alive Jr. in like the 60s? Is yeah, okay? he grew up, in, I think he was born in like... Uh, Probably born in 1940, probably? No, 1925. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was... Before the two world wars. Yeah, so he was in his 30s or 40s right when this was happening. And so he saw Martin Luther King Jr. die. He saw Medgar Evers, Malcolm X die. And he knew all of these men because he was a uh, orator. He would go around and give speeches about race inequality and racism and stuff like that. But he wrote this story called Going to Meet the Man. And just a short brief synopsis for everyone listening. It's a...
0: Yeah, I've never read this either, so.
1: It's brutal. Uh, It's about this 42-year-old white cop named Jesse, Okay. and this white cop is... Based on real events? uh, Uh, No, it's a fictional fictional story. story. But yeah, it's uh, 1965, and this cop is, uh, he's reliving his day, and he's, you know, uh, grew up in this town, he's lived his whole life in this town, and one of these, uh, there's a protesting about civil rights and everything, and they got the ringleader of this protest group, and he knew this kid growing up. Like, he saw this kid grew up, sure. and uh, he's reliving his day, and he realizes that he's, you know, like, he was cattle prodding him in his testicles, and, Jeez. like, he was getting a hard-on from it. Oh and God. then he's sitting in there, and he's thinking about... Like just how he, you know, he's trying to get it up so he can have sex with his wife. It was he, a, it was a white cop doing white that to a black, cop do, a, do a black man. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! And he had the, it's point of view from the white cop. So it was a black oh, author. Oh, could be even worse. Yeah, writing a white, racist white cop, and then uh, uh, yeah, dude, it blew my yeah, mind when yeah. I started reading it because yeah. I was like, I never thought that he would write from that perspective. <laughs> yeah,
0: it sounds like it's almost damn near impossible to write from that perspective. But yeah, but
1: this is how brilliant James Baldwin was, is he understood where this racism and stuff is Yeah, the the pathology of this guy, the psychology of this guy. So that's what Going to Meet the Man is, is he starts thinking about like the... the, uh, I'm assuming the man is God. Uh, no. Oh, God, no. Okay. (laughs) Uh, they are, uh, he, James Baldwin, grew up with an abusive preacher of a father, stepfather, so I'm 90% sure this man is atheist, but even in the 60s, like, the civil rights era, when... You, it was just dangerous to be black. It was even more dangerous to be be an atheist than I oh, was wow. an atheist. okay So he uh, is writing the story and he's talking about how James the Jesse guy, how he got to be where Jesse's he is the cop Jesse's the cop okay. how he got to be where he is and Jesse starts uh, hearing these uh, it just it's the word uh, it's the proper word, these old Negro spirituals. And okay. he's hearing these in his head, and he's going crazy hearing these uh, spirituals. And then he starts having this memory. And this memory of hearing these these uh, uh, singers when he was about eight years old. And it's like 1905. And uh, he's eight years old. He's laying on his mom's head, and he's going back home because they just got done meeting the man. And then he gets home, and he's thinking about his black friend named Otis... And he's disgusted by the thought of Otis. And it's like, what the fuck? How is this kid? How does that happen? been you know? so racist. And then it goes back even further. He starts, the kid starts reliving his day. And that day, his whole entire town, his father was a big guy in town, and they all stopped and said, hey, we caught him. Are you gonna, you gonna come out? And he says, yep. Bring in the wife and son. We're gonna be up there in a minute. Go up, follow this huge procession of cars up to this clearing. And, um, Young Jesse gets placed on his father's shoulders and he looks up and he can see uh, a black man who is uh, bound like this with a, uh, hands together above his head by a chain. And he is being raised and lowered over a bonfire. And the guy is naked. And oh my god. And he can see just the writing is exquisite. Like James Baldwin is one of the best writers that I've ever read. And Even
0: better than Stephen King? Yeah. Wow, i uh, saying something coming from you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because uh, those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Yeah. But with the writing that James Baldwin was doing, though it was fictional, it was it was for a purpose. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So I think that's where the kind of you can kind of separate those two. But the eloquence of it was, he's r- brutally describing how this little boy is watching this black man get lynched, and he's watching it, and that lynching is not just the. Of someone being strung up in a tree it's the whole act of their murder is can be considered a lynching and so he's watching this happen and he's watching this black man go up and down on these fires he can see that his pubes are getting burned off and all of a sudden one of his daddy's friends goes up and you know starts touching and caressing his uh, testicles and his penis and then he sees him get castrated
0: Holy shit. And then
1: they drop down the guy and they douse him in kerosene and set him on fire. And Jesse is eight years old at this time. And he sees all this and then he gets his like first sexual erection. That's how I interpret it. God damn it. Because your erections as kids and stuff, like they were spontaneous. You don't know why you're having one. You boom, you're getting one. Your body's changing, but how it was written and it was
0: associated with that murder, right? It was
1: associated with that murder. And that's why I think, like, James Baldwin was onto something. Because when children, especially, like, young males, ex- experience pushable, something yeah. traumatic and sexual, like, that shit gets imprinted on them God to where dear. they... That's the only way that they're able to achieve any type of gratifying climax is by reliving that experience over and over again. So, Jesse then, they go home, and, like, his dad and his mom are, like... He can see them before they go home. That they're like really getting hot and bothered by this. Like they're getting turned on by it too. So he's getting kind of like his first time having it, get uh, being you know uh, turned on by something too. And then they go home, and his dad just plowing his mom, and he can hear it, and it's like it prints at him that you know violence and sex kind of coincide, and that's what happens throughout this guy's whole life. But then he also has all these. Uh, the older generation so it's 1900 there's it's possibility that the Jesse grew up as in the South they possibly grew up with some Civil War veterans that you know it was a war of more than aggression it was this the only so we grew up with this racist class of people that taught him his whole entire life that black people were second-class citizens so
0: well in that case and if if it was a Civil War vets they didn't even consider them citizens. They were property. Yeah, they're, proper, they're not even yeah. second class citizens. Yeah, they're just they're no, no bigger than than cattle. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: So, God, d- yeah. D- yeah. So James Baldwin, and, done, and he wrote this in 1965. It takes place in 1965. I couldn't find anything that was known about psychology at that point to what if they actually knew that that could happen to children, that these sex, these violence, and like. Uh, horrific violence can be intertwined with sexuality because it's something that's been studied recently. Yeah, like it was as recently recently. I mean, as in late seventies, yeah, early eighties. Birth of modern psychology didn't even really start till like Freud. Yeah,
0: you know, and that was like very, very adolescence when yeah. uh, during in the sixties. So
1: yeah, so I it's, mean, and he's writing about this now, and that's what kind of it, it blew my mind that he was able to think of this. But when we're talking about lynchings between. Nineteen hundred between eighteen sixty five, end of Civil War to uh, eighteen sixty five to nineteen sixty five, there were over seven thousand recorded lynchings. Oh my God! And of those seven thousand, three thousand recorded, yeah, recorded. That's three times as much yeah. unrecorded. Uh, there. Uh, so yeah, we had to do. The, I had to do this presentation. I did it because of this story. Did and you on, did you pick that story or did
0: you no, get but assigned he, it? The
1: t- uh, teacher assigned it oh, to okay. us. Yeah. So oh, okay. shout out to that teacher. Who's that teacher? Yeah, uh, she's the same one who teaches uh, film history and appreciation. Her name's Dr. Sena Amora out at uh, Metro, uh, at the El I think she teaches all The of, West uh, Campus. Uh, all metros actually. Oh, okay. I think she teaches it all. Shout campuses. out to her. She sounds like a hell of a teacher. She really is. She's yeah. a phenomenal teacher and. So I did this uh, presentation, like, why is America racist today? And, <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, you need to get and, the old generation to die off. Yeah, that's you know? what it is, is that it's a generational systemic racism. Yeah. We taught our children, like, after 1865, they taught their children that black people were property. And then they have, well, no, they're not property now. They're people separate and they're but citizens. Equal. Yeah. And separate but equal. Yeah. And they taught their children this. You step by step of the way, you can see this. That each individual thing happened because the parents were teaching their children this. yeah. And through that time frame that I gave you, they would take, ph- photography became popular. They would take pictures of these lynchings and then make postcards out of them and send them through the mail. It's giving me chills, man. Yeah. And Fuck. the post office knew it was illegal because you can't send that type of garbage yeah. through the mail. They still let it happen. So... Children are seeing this. They're seeing these postcards. Their Children were brought to these lynchings. This is not based on this fictional story. It was a huge thing. That they would bring children to lynchings. They would have picnics. They would have all these things. It was a celebration. Yeah. To see the lynching. I mean,
0: this goes back even further than that, though. I mean, yeah. not just necessarily black versus white. I'm not talking about that, but uh, torture in general. Yeah. You know, torture in general is a human concept all the way back to the Celtic age. Yeah. You know, Look like... At, uh, um, okay. it probably a lot, even before that, even, you know, like probably like all the way back to Alexander and, yeah. uh, uh,
1: public executions, public educa-
0: executions. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, it was an event like yeah. it was think, like morbid event. I, I, I bring this guy up every single time. hope he sponsors my podcast. too. It was Dan Carlin, hardcore history. oh my god. But yeah, I, uh, I'm listening to his, his current one about armor. Uh, what is it? Blueprint for Armageddon. Have yeah. you have you heard that one yet? Not yet. No, I need to. There's, I wanna... It's a five part series, four hours a piece. So I'm. I just got done with the third one today. Oh
1: damn!
0: Um, so. Yeah. Um, it's about World War Two or oh. World War One. I'm sorry, rather. And uh, he talks about he goes into probably even more detail than what this James Baldwin guy did in that book. Yeah. Um, it was like literally, I heard this one yesterday. It's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Uh, He talks about how... The horrors of trench warfare. I... Don't understand the human will. I can't... I don't understand... How... People could endure that for more than an hour. Let alone years. I mean... People could smell them... Before they could see them. For how bad... Like you had to... uh, Decomposing bodies you had to live with. You had to live with your own stench, Your own... uh, uh, Feces. Your own piss. Like, you had to just live in it, in that trench. Or you could get out of the trench and get mowed down by a machine gun. Yeah. One of the two. Which one are you going to pick, yeah. you know? And then if you, if your officers told you to charge the other trench, you better do it. Otherwise, you're going to die a dishonorable death, yeah. you know, uh, by your officer. Your officer, it's either your officer's gun or the enemy's gun. Which one are you going to pick? Yeah, have you, you seen
1: 1917?
0: I did, and they did. They did a good job, but I think they could have done way better. Oh, they have, what, especially
1: I mean, when it comes to trench warfare. Yeah, but uh is a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, talking just about how awful. Uh...
0: That concludes part one. Part two should be right next door. Go ahead and click it.